All right, hello. It is Thursday, August 31st, 2017 at one o'clock Eastern time, and this is Marketing Live. I am your host, Amy Jorgensen. On today's live broadcast, we'll be talking with Dr. James Weinberg about identifying relevant audiences. Various higher education marketing goals pertain to specific audiences and initiatives have traditionally been met with challenges in terms of the availability of technologies and data sources necessary to connect with the right people and inform important decisions associated with strategic planning. Today, we will speak with Dr. James Weinberg, a higher education marketer with extensive experience in market research, predictive analytics, and digital marketing. We'll discuss new data sources for research purposes, how to collect data from, and enhance engagement studies with your target audiences using new technologies, and also how to gain a better understanding of how institution brands are perceived in real time. Marketing Live is part of a higher live network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in, in today's discussion by tweeting us using higher ed live, hashtag higher ed live. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or take higher ed live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. Have you ever wondered what prospective teens are thinking when they receive and read or ignore your institution's recruitment marketing? The third study in the myth-busting series in partnership with NRCCUA is the first to focus on the complete enrollment marketing mix. The research will uncover the best marketing channels and communication preferences that have the biggest influence on prospective teens' perception of your institution. Sign up now and receive early access to the research results and white paper. So I'd like to shout out to James, Dr. James Weinberg, co-founder of Schmooze. Welcome, James. Thank you. We Hi. are so excited to have you on the episode today. It's, um, it's an honor and a pleasure. And so anyone, again, please use hashtag higher ed live if you have any questions for James and I'll do my best to send them along to him. So uh, let's start off with a couple of questions of my own. So where do we start with some of this personalization? Some of this personalization. And identifying uh, the target uh, uh, areas. Ah, uh, well, you know, I think that higher education has been undergoing some just incredible dynamic shifts in terms of demographics, in terms of communication channels that um, you know, prospective students are, are using, um, you know, the ways that they're learning about schools via you know, websites and social media. It, it's, you know, the landscape changes very quickly. Um, one of the things that, you know, I've been really focused on recently, and, and this um, Kind of came through a, a partnership that I currently have with a uh, an employer that I that I used to be with, is the ability to find non traditional students who are actively searching for higher education options. You know, when you think about um, the traditional undergraduate side of of the house, there is a machine in place by which schools can connect with prospective students. Um, the testing services, you know, ACT and College Board, NRCCUA, but the population shift, even at traditional undergrad institutions, you know, non-traditional students, um, which are defined in many ways, oftentimes by by age of you know maybe being 25 or over, um, having jobs, families, you know, there, there's a variety of different criteria, but those students comprise about almost half of of undergraduate enrollment now. And until fairly recently, there has not been a really good way to you know, find prospective students who meet that non-traditional criteria. And so one of the exciting uh, opportunities that I've had, um, which I'm, we're actually working on a project um, with M. Stoner and a school where we're utilizing this audience and and some new technologies to reach them, um, we've, we've had some really exciting results about helping institutions that are trying to cater more and serve, you know, the, those audiences um, you know, we've been able to kind of find people who are actively searching higher ed options and, um, you know, survey them, market to them. So it's kind of a new um, opportunity that, that schools have, because if you think about how schools would have tried to have, to have found, you know, non-traditional um, prospective students, you know, you might go to a, gen a generic list provider, let's say, and, you know, 
you might be able to search for certain types of demographic characteristics, age, you know, ages, where they live, um, their employment status, et cetera. But, you know, you'd have no idea whether those people were actually interested in higher education. And if so, you know, what programs are they interested in? When are they looking to start? Do they prefer online or campus-based experiences? And so we now uh, luckily have kind of a new data source that we've been able to tap into um, whereby we can help schools kind of build that, uh, you know, programs for those audiences. So that's been been really exciting. So tell me about that new data source. So um, there is, um, again, through, through a, a partnership that I have, it's a company that, that has um, focused traditionally on lead generation for higher education for, for many years. And um, basically, again, they have, you know, literally millions of, of prospective students who fit the adult, you know, non-traditional criteria um, across hundreds and hundreds of websites that are all designed for, you know, the college search and selection process. And so over the last couple of years, we've done a lot of surveying of this audience. And um, that's given us some insights that have been used in uh, kind of industry-facing, you know, research. Um, and, you know, part of it was for the uh, e-expectation series that, you know, is put out by, by Ruffalo and Olevitz and, and NRCCUA. And, and I, I got to um, contribute kind of the um, non-traditional components to that last year, which was, which was really nice. And um, so basically, these are students who are using online technologies to look for you know, again, college options. And um, what's really great about it is is we get so much information from them about, you know, again, when they want to start, what programs they're interested in, you know, their, their uh, you know, delivery preference in terms of online. And so um, it can really help schools, you know, that have kind of like, you know, degree completion programs, um, adult focused programs. And it, it's it's really, I think, providing an opportunity to better serve a rapidly growing audience, you know, that, that up until, you know, fairly recently, I think there, there just wasn't a great way to reach them. Um, and, and again, you know, that, that sort of dovetails nicely into the technology end of the equation too, is that, you know, all of the research in higher education marketing, as far as how prospective students are learning about colleges, you know, websites are far and away the number one you know, kind of information source and, and usually kind of the first um, way that a prospective student will will start learning about a college. And so the website experience is, you know, it, it can't be overstated how important it is to have, you know, a good web experience. And so um, coupled with that ability to reach these new audiences, we've started to put a, a lot of focus into how can we, how can we leverage new, um, technologies that actually make websites better at inquiry capture or, or lead capture, depending on, on the, the terminology that people like to use. I know that uh, a lot of schools don't like to think of prospective students as leads, and I, I understand that. Um, but so, so, for example, one of the technologies that we're actually using for the survey research, we're also using as, um, you know, those kind of live chat widgets that, that a lot of companies have, yeah. where like when you go on their website, you know, something kind of pops up from the footer. Well, we've developed something similar, except it's not a live person. It's actually a predefined um, kind of conversation that it, think of it as kind of a, a request for information form that um, can be really nicely branded, incorporate you know the school's logos, co you know color schemes, um, and so what happens is we have some schools that we're that we're working with where. You know, when you think about the key calls to action on a college website, usually it's, you know, request information, schedule a visit, and, and apply now, mm. right? The, the, the issue is that, A, a lot of colleges, I think, don't have those calls to action, you know, maybe as prominently displayed as they could be. So um, true. <laughs> and, and, and even the ones that do, again, you know, they require the prospective student to actually find those pages and forms before they can take meaningful you know, admissions related action. So what we've developed is a way to kind of merge that, that data collection, um, you know, technology in a way that, that 
lives across an, an institution's entire website or, or on whatever pages they want to. So, so we have some schools, for example, that have this, this kind of, you know, widget that, that appears on, uh, you know, the homepage, the program pages, the admissions and financial aid pages. And we've had just absolutely incredible results in terms of generating not only a, a vast number of inquiries, but really highly, highly qualified inquiries because these are people who are already visiting the school's websites, mm -hmm. right? So they're interested. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of, um, within a couple of weeks of implementation, we've had really powerful um, enrollment, you know, impact, um, as well as, um, you know, just kind of helping schools fill, you know, the, the top of the funnel more, but also we've already had a lot of really exciting downstream, um, you know, conversions in terms of, of applications and enrollments. and. And the idea here is that um, the same software, again, can be used to conduct a survey. Um, it can be, you know, really all, all it's doing is, is providing an opportunity to collect data and to provide data. So, you know, when you think about a lot of live chats, for example, they require admissions counselors to actually, you know, man them in real time. Um, and then they also require a certain degree of training in that you, you want to steer the prospective students towards you know the information and and the actions that that they need and so um you know the nice thing about sort of predefining a conversation and and workflow is that you you take away that kind of um possibility for for negative improvisation or you know what you could argue is maybe not the most effective use of time um so so it's kind of merging really you know it stemmed from really a market research mentality uh, so for example the school that we're working with with m stoner we're using the exact same technology to help them generate inquiries but then we're also using the the same software to actually conduct market research of you know um, their internal internal community you know current students uh, and other kind of stakeholders so the the idea here you know um is kind of getting away from what I would consider kind of a siloed mentality in terms of um, functional departments, in terms of products and services. So, so thinking about, you know, how can we infuse different um, philosophies and, and even components of what might be considered, you know, different services or different departments, right? So, you know, can we, can we put something on, on a website, which we know is so important to convey relevant information to prospective students, you know, can we collect information that we know is going to be really useful for financial aid mm -hmm. um, and admissions, you know, within the same short conversation, um, and and get people engaged, right? So, what we're what we're kind of, you know, what I've been thinking a lot about is um, think about different areas like market research and digital marketing, and and fuse them, right? Mm -hmm. So create um, opportunities to use kind of some of the strengths from different, you know, functional areas, different types of products and put them together and, and kind of break down what, you know, maybe some people fall into kind of silo thinking and that, oh, this, this isn't really our department or, you know, this, this doesn't really, you know, this makes more sense for marketing to deal with their admissions. And, you know, how can we start to change that thinking and help people, um, start to think in a more holistic and integrated fashion. So you're making a more cohesive experience for the prospective student when they're coming in, trying to find the information, trying to bring stuff together. You're able to have much better market research in regards to what they're interested in. And what I'm curious about is, is it almost sounds like this is a chatbot. Is that kind of the, like a chatbot that kind of directs things? Is that kind of the right? It, it, it does. It does have a lot of that, that kind of back end. Um, but again, it, it, the, the difference is, is that it does not, some chatbots use artificial intelligence and kind of improvise. Mm -hmm. These are predefined conversations that they, they kind of look and feel like a text message thread, mm -hmm. but, but they're set up kind of like a survey or a form whereby, you know, you're kind of only allowed to go in certain directions, right? So, you know, we've all heard those horror stories about like Microsoft's chatbot that, you know, went <laughs> off on like a, a racist tirade because it learned from, you know, unfortunately negative influences online and you know so so we wanted to steer really clear of any any type of possibility of that so you know the other thing is that we've this has all been informed by working with really smart 
um, innovative admissions counselors, um, marketing, you know, chief marketing officers, f people in financial aid. You know, every every product that that I'm going to kind of talk about today, you know, these these were all born by um, real, you know, kind of in the weeds experiences, right? So so you know, I think that sometimes you get products that are kind of solutions looking for problems. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've gone really the other way in that we've taken years of, of really, you know, consulting um, on both sides of, of the table, you know, kind of working with people in the private sector that are more on the kind of the vendor side, but also working with people who are in the trenches every day at schools, figuring out, you know, what are the problems and what are the challenges that you're confronting every day? And how can we um, put systems in place that, you know, don't automate things in a way that take the 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 personal, the necessary personal experience out of the mix. But how can we make things more efficient, and ultimately, you know, convey the picture of the school that you that you want and that your prospective students need. Um, and and all of this also is largely, you know, from a philosophical perspective, designed to help schools do things in more efficient and affordable ways. So for example, you know, the, the, the software that I was just telling you about that, you know, is used for kind of inquiry generation as well as research um, for a price point that's just, you know, astronomically lower than what a school would pay a vendor for to come in and, you know, kind of conduct market research for them. Um, they now, schools now have the opportunity to use you know, predefined templates that, that, that they can then modify themselves, you know, or, or get some help with and now conduct research in a much more recurring and um, efficient way so that, you know, instead of one of the things I think that that's been a real problem in higher education marketing is that to really to truly inform good marketing and recruitment strategy, a lot of the research and sort of data that's been necessary to, to craft those strategies has been exorbitantly expensive mm -hmm. and, and also very bound in time. So for example, you know, for a school to pay, you know, 80 or a hundred thousand dollars to conduct market research, um, it, it's for the ones that can even afford to do that. They're not going to be able to do it again for a long time. And so therefore inherently that means that after a couple of years, they're going to be making important marketing decisions with information that's that's outdated mm -hmm. and given how fast the, the the landscape is changing right now in terms of technologies and demographics that's a real problem um, and so you know where we're coming at things is how can we how can we empower schools to have the tools that they need you know on a daily basis so that they can collect information in real time and all the time in in a way that's really going to kind of help them stay on top of the changing seas. Um, and so that's been a big priority for us. So, you know, some of the other, you know, kind of products that we've developed, for example, are like predictive analytics software that is, you know, again, available at a fraction of the price of what a lot of, you know, other vendors in the space might, might be providing. Um, and I think, you know, the, the way that I, I kind of, the analogy I use is like, remember how web developers in like the late nineties and early two thousands, you know, used to make, you know, crazy money. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, they still used to do have to sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes they do. Right. But it's like, as the technologies have changed and as more people have learned how to use, you know, different technologies and platforms, you know, now, whereas somebody 10 years ago might've made a hundred thousand dollars for a web design project, you know, now there are people who can offer that out of their basement who are in high school for like yeah. a frac, you know, a fraction. Right. And so, yeah. That, that's kind of how we're looking at, at, at some of these other services is um, instead of, you know, thinking in terms of like, this is the way that things have always been done and here's, you know, what is required to, to be able to achieve this. Hello, James. But this is an incredibly interesting topic because I think when he was first talking, I was thinking, oh, this just sounds like you need just really good overhaul of your website. But, and, you know, making sure that it's really got positive user interaction and, uh, it's really emphasized towards the user experience. But 
I think that's what's so special about what James is talking about is it's not just about you know making sure the website's easy to navigate. It's being able to have all that market research so that way you're able to really tailor the content towards your audiences and also build the content better for your audiences. Because of course we can look at Google Analytics and say, okay, well there's more people that are going to this page after this page, or here's the direction they're going in. But I think what's so fascinating is James. I was just kind of giving a um, a little bit of a, a anecdote. Um, regarding what we were talking about. So when when I was when I first heard you talking, I was thinking, oh, this is just like uh, you know, it sounds like just like websites need a huge overhaul when it comes to user interface and user interaction. But what's really special, and that still might be the case, but what's really special about what you're talking about is the market research and that you're able to really build a case of not just here's the pages they go to afterwards, but you're able to use that more as lead generation of once they get here, they're they're now, you know, you know exactly what they're thinking. You know exactly what they're looking for. You have more information in regards to, you know, really making sure you're tailoring content for those audiences. Because, like you said, one of the biggest growing markets is, is an untraditional student, and that's incredibly valuable. And I don't think that many universities are tailoring content towards those audiences. And with the way you could build out your your tool like you said you could have surveys so you can say here's the percentage of people that are coming to our website that are untraditional versus traditional versus you know maybe we have some military folks that are joining us maybe we have some folks that are you know uh, stay-at-home parents you know and so being able to use that information to be very specific whereas on on if you just had google analytics you're making a lot of guesses in regards to those specific audiences and who's using your website so this sounds incredibly valuable well, that yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, thinking about, you know, when you think about, let's say, a request for information form, right? It's it's not a terribly exciting idea, right? <laughs> Very necessary, but you know, you're collecting name and email address, and you know, maybe um, area of study interest, um, some some different things. Um, but you know, what if you so so for example, some of the things we're starting to do is we know, for example, what activities and attributes are highly predictive of enrollment in many cases, right? So for example, people who actually visit campus, you know, go on a campus tour, by and large are much more likely to enroll. Um, students who, uh, it's kind of a, an obvious one, but students who um, rate the institution as their first choice are much more likely to enroll, right? So, so what some of the things we started to do, for example, are while we're collecting that more mundane information, like, you know, what's your name, what's your email address, you know, when do you want to start, what program are you, are you interested in, you know, sneaking in a couple things, like, hey, you know, where does ABC College currently rank for you, mm -hmm. right? Or have you visited campus? If not, would you be interested? You know, little questions like that that um, don't take a heck of a lot of time and and you know don't seem like they're really off topic, those are incredibly powerful. And when you have the answers to maybe one or two questions like that, in a you know, as part of like your request for information form, for example, now you're armed with a whole nother kind of set of, 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 of information that can be really useful and help you prioritize your prospects, um, help you, you know, gain a little bit more information. So for example, you know, knowing that an institution that somebody's requesting information about might be their second choice. You know, that provides an incredible opportunity for, for follow-up, you know, and you don't necessarily have to address that, um, but trying to find out a little bit more information, you know, um, is another school offering a much better financial aid or scholarship package? Mm -hmm. um, you know, is there, you know, w whatever the information might be, but, but you know, a couple of, of interesting questions here and there can really help um, frame the recruitment effort for that particular prospective student. Um, and then, of course, in the aggregate, as you're collecting information over time, uh, as you mentioned, you know, knowing sort of the percentage of non-traditional students versus traditionals who are, who are engaging with you in, in, in a conversation, right? And knowing, um, you know, the time of day they're coming, what, what pages they're hitting. Um, and, and like you said, you know, Google Analytics certainly offers some uh, you know, incredibly powerful information there as well. But one of the limitations that, of Google Analytics, of course, is the lack of ability to, you know, identify a specific person, mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's, you know, as, as great of a tool as it is in looking at information sort of in the aggregate and, and certainly having 
great data to inform a lot of your website design and, and functionality and that kind of stuff. The, the one missing piece that I think frustrates a lot of people is like, you know, I want to know what, what Joe Smith did. <laughs> you yeah, know? definitely. So, so this is, this is kind of a way to, you know, dial into that a little bit more. Cause I mean, um, otherwise you'd literally have to have a page for every single person. I mean, are you male, female? <laughs> are you, you know, five foot 10, five foot nine, five, you know, it's like all the different variables. I don't know why you would include height, but all different potential variables that you would want to include in order to do tailored marketing. And if I'm on a website and you ask me, you know, um, just generally on a page of where does the school rank in my top choices? I don't know if I would answer that on a website page, you know what I mean? Like, but on a, bot it seems much more or like the tool that you're talking about it seems much more organic and authentic and and doesn't feel quite as awkward you know because it's like if I put down that I'm this is my third choice what web page is it going to send me to next whereas this is more like oh this is kind of an anecdotal question we're just kind of curious yeah so yeah a really good idea you know, yeah, it, it, it you know, it, it's, it's been, it's been very useful with, with a couple of schools where, where we've tried that. Um, the other thing that that's been really useful is, in addition to having, you know, kind of like the website widget and you know, using the, the tool for more traditional types of market research where you're, you know, inviting people via email or text message or whatever it is. Um, we, we've started to, to think about, you know, one of, one of the problems with collecting data from anybody these days is that we are a society that is surveyed to death, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't get off a plane or out of a grocery store without getting, you know, an email within 30 seconds, right? With, you know, how was your experience, you know, whatever. And, and you know, from a business perspective, um, you know, ultimately that helps out everybody, right? It helps out the schools, or it helps out the, you know, the students, the customers, right? But it's, it's really a question of like, you know, do I do I want to spend 15 minutes filling out you know radio buttons and and check boxes and really frankly communicating in a very unnatural way mm -hmm. um, versus something that is much more aligned with the current preferences towards um, you know text messaging and and um, just kind of like a live chat kind of feel. Um, well, and I like that you mentioned text messaging, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I have a 17-year-old younger brother who is hilarious and adorable, and he's he will not call you on the phone. He just won't. He he wants to text, and and even Snapchat, like the, those are the tools in which you know the the young. And I know we're talking about untraditional students a lot, but I mean the younger folks, they don't want to be talking on the phone. They don't want to have to leave a voicemail. That's like the worst thing ever is like, I have to check my voicemail. So being able to put it in a format in which those folks are more comfortable with. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. It, it's fun, you know, so, so, you know, for, so for this app that we're talking about, which is, which is Schmooze, um, you know, the whole experience kind of, again, looks and feels like a text message, but what, but what's been really cool. So we're working with one school where we are um, sending text message Serve, we're sending via text message an, an invitation to participate in short surveys for everyone who's gone on campus tours, attended open houses. Um, we even surveyed people, admitted students about their um, financial aid award experience. And what, what we found is whenever we had cell phone numbers for those prospective students, the, um, we invited people, you know, we, we can send people invitations to participate in these surveys via email and or text or, you know, and social media in some different ways. But the participation via text message invitation is like just, it blew everything else away in terms oh, of, yeah. of, of response rates. And, you know, what's really interesting there is, is um, research on text messaging in general suggests that like 90% of people open and read a text message within 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's just like, I mean, that's when you compare that to email open and read rates um, and, and a lot of other forms of communication, it's, it's, it's an incredibly powerful um, tool. And, you know, what's interesting, the, the research that we did of non-traditional students um, in the e-expectation series last year, where, you know, that's all about kind of getting a better understanding for how different types of students are, are learning about colleges, interacting with them. One of the, the one of the findings that really stuck out for me there was that um, something like more than seventy five percent of the non traditional students indicated that they would be willing to receive text messages from schools. Mm -hmm. However, less than thirty percent of them ever had. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's just it's an enormous kind of missed opportunity, frankly, for for schools that aren't leveraging um, text message communications. Um, and again, this this all fits into. Uh, 
how can we how can we combine channel preferences with you know what might be thought of as more traditional market research right which you know for for many people is like a mailed you know letter yeah. you know, people write, right and so you know what what we're thinking about and and again like in this project that we're that, that M Stoner uh, and I are working on with the school right now you know we're we're kind of bringing all of this stuff together um, you know marrying channel preference with you know necessary data collection and inquiry generation and it's just it's been an incredible experience with with frankly a, a really innovative forward thinking client um, that really understands that to you know to to move the needle these days you, you just you have to you you have to kind of ch change things up a little bit and so, do do you mind ahead. if i ask with um so you talked a little bit about this before and i'd love to dive into some really concrete examples so yep. what if we are to try and what do you think are some really valuable information that we could gain from market research like so talking about different segmentations and talking about what are some things that we all can use in regards to like, okay, getting an age demographic? Is that a variable mm -hmm. that is significant or not? Or getting a, you know, uh, where they're located in proximity to the school. So could you provide a little bit of background on some different uh, variables that you think are very valuable in order to uh, build a case for the predictive analytics you're talking about? Sure. So, the, and, and you just kind of hit on them. So, you know, thinking about um, a mixed mixed methodology in terms of how you're collecting and analyzing data about people. So survey clearly and focus groups that those are really powerful ways to collect data from people, right? Um, however, oftentimes real behavior um, is quite a bit different from what people say. Um, so, <laughs> I know I should be working out, but that Snickers bar looks good. <laughs> totally right. And so, so you have you know, so surveys and focus groups can be can be really great for identifying attitudes hang on let me quiet my phone down here um you know they're great at identifying attitudes learning about how people are, are you know learning about your institution and, and how they perceive of it and, and things like that but when you actually go into a school's um, historical admissions data right where you really look at everybody who's ever come in you know as an inquiry you look at um the rate the rates at which they've applied and or enrolled and then you can see everything from there uh, you know where they live which from there you can glean you know proximity from the institution which we know is 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 typically a very important variable in the selection process um, things like uh, extracurricular activities um, you know programs of interest if they've done them now or if they're going to do them at your institution either or okay um, in addition to things like you know religious uh, affiliation, um, you know how many times the admissions team or financial aid team reached out and how much response there was. You know schools collect varying amounts of information, and um, some you know do it much more robustly and or effectively than others. But what we find is from a statistical standpoint, the predictive analytics is great at identifying a lot of, you know, non-attitudinal attributes of prospective students. So again, you know, their test scores, their GPA, um, where they live, um, you know, whether they're interested in, in athletics or arts or, you know, different kinds of things like that. Um, and then, you know, the, the combination, so, so what we might find, for example, is, um, you know, proximity to school might be one of the most predictive variables in the enrollment decision, right? Mm -hmm. um, however, while that data is incredibly valuable and can really help a school um, target the right prospects, you know, and, and use their resources a, a lot more efficiently, um, you know, the combination of analyzing behavioral data mm -hmm. as well as continuously collecting attitudinal data you know, provide a lot of, um, you know, that, that sort of comprehensive combined insight. And so, for example, um, thinking about, you know, that's why knowing that proximity to, to the institution is, is typically very predictive of enrollment, you know, that's why it's like, it's so important to, to include a field for, you know, your zip code or your city or whatever on a form, right? Because once you have that, right, now, now you're, you're already sort of, 
going down that path of being able to predict how likely that prospective student is to enroll, right? Um, and so again, you know, what might seem like a really just kind of mundane field on a form, um, if looked at in the right way, can be a very powerful data point that can help uh, an admissions team, you know, kind of speak to that person the right way or or prioritize them. So um, one of the variables you've you've talked about in the past is. Um, you know, understanding the attitudes of how the brand is perceived in real time. So yes, wouldn't anybody who goes to a admissions website say like, this is the best school ever, or do you find that they're being, because you know, if I give you my name and my information and then I tell you, I think the school's like, meh, B school, then isn't that gonna affect my ability to be able to get into the school? That's what I would think. So how are you able to make sure that it's authentic and you know what I mean? Like, I hope that's okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Sure, sure. So, so that you know that that what you're talking about is certainly you know one way of, of approaching that. The the real time sort of perceptual analysis actually. So we ha we have an additional um, piece of software that is a social media analytics and Ooh. monitoring software. Ooh. And so what we so so the the real time kind of uh, understanding of, of of the perception is is gleaned more through social media data. Mm. Um, and that is where we can, for example, search social media for an institution's name, um, their main Twitter handles, their hashtags they might be using for specific campaigns. And by um, analyzing the sentiment of those conversations on social media, as well as by you know, doing a little bit of additional qualitative analysis about the, the topics and themes that they're that they're thinking about and talking about on social media that is a way to kind of take real-time information and look at it again as, as another data source so even though this information again is is unstructured and it's you know it's authentic it's real time um, it it can be used as kind of an ancillary way to, again, kind of gain an understanding for how you're being perceived in, as an institution. So thinking about surveys and focus groups, for example, mm -hmm. one, of their, one of their biggest limitations is that they're bound in time, mm -hmm. right? So if you're, if you're running a survey over the course of two or three weeks or focus groups, you know, you're getting information, per for perceptual that, yeah. information in that limited window. Whereas with social media data, you know, you can collect information all the time. Now, there are sort of methodological pros and cons to both types of data. Um, but again, thinking about, thinking about things in a more holistic and comprehensive way, you know, the key is understanding that like, okay, this set of tools is really good for, for this purpose and gives me, here are the pros and cons of, of, of it. And now here's another tool whereby mm -hmm. we can get some additional information. Here are the pros and cons of that, right? And so, um, thinking about everything from predictive analytics to kind of real-time social media conversation, um, ways to engage, uh, you know, your website visitors more effectively. The, the key is in not looking at any of this as kind of like a, a one stop, you know, as, as like a one shot deal or like, you know, a silver, a magic bullet that's going to solve all these problems. You know, the key again is in looking at how can all of these various data sources ultimately be um, analyzed and framed in a singular way where the goal is to, you know, do X. Is it to um, help people learn more about our brand? Is it to enroll more students? Is it to elevate our academic profile? Um, whatever those goals are, they're going to make you use the tools differently, right? So for example, I think a great example is with, is with the, the predictive modeling software, right? The way that a school that has an, an overarching enrollment decline problem is going to use it is going to be very different. So for example, let's say that, let's say that we run a thousand prospective students through the model and the, the um, sort of deliverable is that every prospective student has a score from zero to hundred percent in terms of how likely they are to enroll at the institution. Now for a school with a huge, um, you know, enrollment decline, a sensible solution for them might be to focus on the students who have the highest percentage likelihoods yeah. across the board. Now, let's take a school where they don't, you know, where their goal isn't necessary to, you know, just enroll a bunch more students, but they actually want to grow specific programs 
mm-hmm. they want to elevate their academic profile. So that what that's going to require is is segmenting those prospective students into their programs of interest or their um, academic achievement levels mm-hmm. and targeting people within those subgroups that have the highest likelihood of enrolling, right? So maybe a school is trying to build their zoology program and they had 100 students in their database who indicated interest in zoology, you know, the, the, the people with the highest likelihood of enrollment there might only be 70%, but, right. you know, but it's better to target the, the people who are 70% versus 2% likely to enroll, right? So oh, it's exactly. like, so, so the key is, is in recognizing that any of these methods, any of these tools, whether it's software, whether it's consulting, you know, none of it means anything if it's not appropriately tailored towards meeting goals, yeah. right? And and working within the context of how schools operate, right? So like, you know, introducing a new technology or, or trying to implement a new policy or practice in a way that really conflicts with how work gets done there and how people are comfortable working is a huge problem, mm-hmm. right? And so for example, you know, I've seen a lot of times where let's say a vendor has a really good CRM product mm-hmm. and they might, you know, a school might implement that, that CRM, but if they don't have the proper training and support, mm-hmm. it, it's going to end up being more of a hindrance than a help. Exactly. Right? And, and people just get frustrated. So it's like, that's a whole other side of why, you know, any of these, any of these tools, you know, they all have to be approached in a collaborative way that are um, implemented in comfortable and practical ways, right? And, oh, and so, you know, and for example, so, oh, go ahead. No, please interrupt was, me because I'll keep babbling. I was so excited when you were talking, I didn't want to interrupt you because you had so many good thoughts, but I was so excited when you started talking about the um, the information, how you can gain a, a, a reputation perception based on what they're doing on social media. And I'm curious how that works with big schools that have um, like SEC schools when it comes to football season, because Years ago, um, I, I remember looking at two different institutions that were in one state and it was competitively harder to get into one school than another. But then that other school started doing all really, really, really well in football. And now it's harder to get into the school that used to be easier to get into. And, and so it's really true that academics um, uh, are totally impacted by sports because more students want to go to that school. They want to have pride for that school. It's in the news more often. And sure. so I'm curious if, if you know, if there's a big game that's happening, I, you know, I'm going to the University of Florida right now. I, I just started. We were talking about that. We're playing against Michigan this weekend. So if if you know if we lose to Michigan, does that mean that fewer people are going to apply to the University of Florida? I bet you there's some weird correlation between that because you know they're going to be talking about it on Twitter <laughs> and they're going to be that's talking about social. I'm curious, like, if, if you could actually associate it with that and then use that as justification of we need to spend more money on our, you know, whatever team. So that that's that's a really so uh, uh, that's kind of funny. So a couple years ago, I I wrote um, a white paper that was called um, March Madness. Yes. And, and, uh, and how to how to how to get like I can't remember the exact title. It was, it was basically like how to obtain more social media ROI. And so what what we did was we we took a lot of the um, schools that were in in the tournament, and we looked at how people were talking about them on social media. And <laughs> and, and, and 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 beyond that, what we also um, we're isolating were conversations that were focused on the college search and selection process. Mm-hmm. And what we found and what we still find today. So for example, um, we find all the time that there are prospective students who are in the midst of the college search and selection process who will go on Facebook and Twitter and on, the, and these, on, the, on these other channels, and they will provide a, a lot of information about where their heads are at. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I mean, I see posts all the time that are like, you know, just got my fourth acceptance from ABC college. Now I just need to see if, if XYZ gives me, you know, more financial aid or, mm-hmm. you know, and so like, I mean, there is so much information out there um, being provided by people who, you know, aren't net, you know, kind of willingly providing <laughs> information, you know, so you have to be careful, you know, there, there are definitely kind of ethical um, concerns and, and, yeah. and issues that have to be handled delicately about how this information is used. But, you know, for example, um, I see all the time, you know, social media conversation that, that can really tell a school um, where there are opportunities, 
or, mm-hmm. or deficits or, or things that they're not being perceived on well, right? So it's like, you know, I mean, I remember uh, uh, somebody who had, you know, gotten into Columbia University a couple years ago and was like $63,000 a year for tuition, like, you know, st- stick a knife at me, you know? Like, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, you know, you, you get things that are, you know, again, sort of put out there casually and conversationally that actually provide really good information about, you know, the drivers of the college selection process, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, and we know what those are um, through conducting a lot of research over time. You know, it's, it's the, you know, the, the, the strength of the, of the of the program of interest, it's the um, you know uh, cost, right? Mm-hmm. The financial aid and scholarship opportunities. It's you know the perceived um, uh, rank and reputation of the school, mm-hmm. the perceived quality of, the, of of the faculty. You know, so so we know what drives the selection process, and that's why if you look for the right information and can find it, you know, on so, whether it's on social media or through surveys or whatever else, um, you know, you don't need to, you know, it's about knowing the right questions to ask well, and, and knowing the right ways to, to, to answer those questions. And I love what you said about using some of the things you're seeing on social media and making that, um, focusing on that sometimes to be able to make strategic decisions for your institution and making sure that you are going in the right direction. So I work at the University of Virginia and the horrible things that happened a couple of weeks ago I mean, we are always in, you know, focused on diversity and inclusion and making sure that everyone feels welcome. But what happened a couple of weeks ago, as horrible as it was, it really made us reevaluate, you know, are we being as inclusive as possible? You know, and, and it kind of made us check ourselves. And I think that was as horrible as that situation was, hopefully that's something that that can be positive that comes out of it, that we're that we're now focused on making sure that we are as an inclusive space as possible. We're making sure that is our first priority and that we are inc- being diverse. And without that, without that communication online, we wouldn't know where to focus. And so I, I like that you talked about that, how it can, because I'm, I'm sure that that'll impact um, recruitment, that'll impact, you know, perception of, of whether or not someone will go to the program, because it's incredible, it's number two in the country academically, but what are some other pieces that impact their decision as to whether or not they come to the university? And so I think I love what you're talking about in regards to, you know, kind of, do some social listening and do a whole bunch of really strategic analytics in order to make strategic decisions. I use the word strategic seven times, but you make decisions to really make sure that you're benefiting the student and providing a really quality experience. And, and you know, because if you're providing a really good product and a really good experience, admissions gonna, is going to come in. You know, it's like, and I think that's a really good way, even beyond admissions, to make sure that we're checking ourselves and moving forward. So that was really yeah. valuable, James. I love that. Thank you. Sure. And again, and you, know, you, you just hit on it. It's about, it's about giving yourself an arsenal of tools and methods, again, whether that's, you know, traditional market research, social media listening, predictive analytics, whatever it is, you know, in the end, it's all about listening. Mm-hmm. And gaining an understanding for how you can best attract and serve the people who you know are the best fit for your institution. Right? I mean, it's it's a two way street, right? I mean, I think a lot of times people, you know, marketing can be kind of a of a dirty word for a lot of people. But you know, <laughs> what's so great about higher ed marketing is, you know, the the what's being sold, for lack of a better word, is you know a mutually beneficial improvement of people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like we're selling, you know, tobacco and firearms here. Right? <laughs> so um, what we're ultimately looking to do is create a best fit on both sides. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what's been so great for me being in this business for a while is working with so many different types of schools. You know, I, I grew up in New England. Right. Mm-hmm. And I went to a boarding school and that kind of stuff. So my, my, my view growing up of like what a good school was, was very narrow. Mm-hmm. And until I kind of went to some different schools and, you know, lived in different areas of the country and started working with schools, um, I had a little, you know, my, my view was just, was just not um, broad enough. And mm-hmm. so now, you know, for example, there are plenty of schools out there that might not, you know, be at the top of the, U- of the U.S. News and World Report rankings for X, Y, and Z, or they might not be known about for this or that. But, you know, for the right students and the right connections that they might yeah. make with the faculty mentor or whatever, like you know, there are life-changing experiences afoot for, you know, students and administrators across the board, right? And so you never know 
where those connections are going to be made. And it's not always at sort of the, the schools and places where people think, mm-hmm. right? I mean, for example, if you look at like the, you know, the Forbes 400, you know, wealthiest people or whatever, you know, a lot of those people aren't going to, to the elite institutions, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, some of them don't even go to college at all, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I think what, you know, what's most important, right. Is like, we're, we're in the, we're in the business of trying to, you know, get people connected in the right ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, it, it's, I've never had an experience where I've worked with a school where I haven't seen, you know, even if it was a school that I hadn't, didn't know much about, right. Or that again, doesn't get all the accolades, you know, there are always, you know, beautiful success stories of, you know, the right connections being made. And and that can only, that can really only happen if the schools are able to convey their messages in the right way, but also hear what they need to hear. Mm-hmm. from the students who who ultimately are the ones who should be there right well, so it's I, it's really just go ahead I, I love that you say that because my very best friend went to a tiny college in michigan it was albion college and i think they had like 1500 students in the whole school and i went to a much bigger school for my undergrad and she loved her experience it was such a perfect fit for her and i think if she would have gone to a bigger institution she wouldn't have felt the connection that she had she wouldn't have felt the community that she felt whereas if i was at that institution i would have gone crazy i need something bigger and so you're exactly right making sure that you're you're making that connection that that fits right for you because you're going to be more successful the university is going to be more successful in turn and and it's a, it's a two way street i love that yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, I, I, uh, I sort of stumbled, you know, I, I stumbled into higher education marketing completely by accident. I, I didn't even know that it existed. You know, when I got into the, into the field, um, I was just graduating from, from my, my graduate work. And, um, I, I had had a lot of experience in the private sector mm-hmm. in between, uh, schooling. And I was really torn about whether to kind of go the institutional route or go back into the private sector. And my assumption was that, colleges just had their own marketing departments and they handled everything. I, I didn't even know that higher education marketing, you know, firms existed. And uh, through one of my professors, actually, her her husband worked at a higher education marketing firm and they were they were looking, you know, and my professor was like, hey, have you ever heard of this company? And, and, I, and I was just like, you know, I, <laughs> you know I, I was just about to graduate and, and, and I, you know, was really torn about what direction to go in. And, um, it's, it's, it's kind of this like beautiful, um, you know, merging of worlds that kind of combined like, you know, private sector, uh, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, uh, ways of doing things, but also, you know, working in higher education. So it's, it's really just turned out to be a great, you know, a really uh, kind of a blessing for me that, that uh, you know, I kind of discovered this field. It kind of, it, it fulfills, you know, a lot of uh, you know, what, what would otherwise be competing interests. So. Yeah, so. I love that. Well, I want to thank you so much, James, for uh, speaking with us today and, and giving us your insight and uh, your guidance. I've definitely gained a lot of very valuable information. So thank you. This was great. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. And I, you know, um, I'm not sure how uh, future communications work, but um, you know, I'm more, if, and if anybody has any questions or, you know, wants to uh, talk about anything, I'm, I'm, I'm around. So um, I really appreciate being being invited here. It's been been an honor and a, and a privilege. And and uh, best, have a great day to everybody out there. So. Awesome. And and thank you uh, always to our program sponsor, M Stoner, and to everyone else. Have a great day.